This episode is an interesting little time capsule. It was recorded in the first week of May 2020, at the beginning of the height of the COVID pandemic. This is the Raising Freethinkers podcast. I'm Dale McGowan, editor and co-author of Raising Freethinkers and Parenting Beyond Belief, books for raising compassionate, curious kids without religion. Episode 35, The Science You Will Never Know. The last week of April included three coronavirus highlights for me. On Monday of that week, I was tested for the virus. On Wednesday, I got my results, positive, and started a seven-day basement isolation that I'm just now finishing. And in between those two days, on Tuesday, Vice President Mike Pence toured the Mayo Clinic without a mask on, despite being told that it was the policy of the Mayo Clinic that everyone wear one while on site. And despite the fact that every person around him, without exception, was wearing one. Now, the Mayo Clinic is one of those places in the culture that are emblematic of pinnacle achievement in a particular area of human life. It's like Carnegie Hall. Now, imagine Pence in the front row at Carnegie Hall telling Yo-Yo Ma that his bowing is all wrong. Same thing with not wearing a mask. He was asserting with absolutely unearned arrogance that he knew better than those skilled professionals at the top of their field. When the backlash began, he offered three reasons for ignoring the protocol. First, he wanted to look those heroes in the eye, which makes me very much want to see a picture of him wearing the mask. Second, he said he was following CDC guidelines in rejecting the mask. And finally, he said as vice president, he is tested frequently. Now, the first of those is silly. The second one is a lie. And the third is irrelevant. The principle that overrides them all is this. The decision to wear a mask or not wear a mask is based on science that he will never know. It's also science that I will never know. The science you will never know can kill you, and it can save your life. And it can kill and save other people. And it can end one kind of misery or create a new one. Knowing science, getting scientific answers right, is more important at this point in history in countless ways than it has ever been. You and I might be productive contributors to scientific conversations, but we cannot be productive contributors to every scientific conversation, except in one way, by pointing on a given issue for which we lack expertise to the people who do know what the hell they're talking about, citing them, amplifying their voices. When the required expertise is beyond my own grasp, that is my role to defer to the experts. Now, defer, that might sound like the opposite of free thought, right? I have my opinions. I should be able to voice them freely. That's a cartoon of free thought. Freethinker, as a concept and a word, freithinker, 
was born in the 17th century in what is now Germany. It was a declaration of independence from the forced authority of the church. A Freidenker could form and express opinions and knowledge without having to conform to religious dogma. That didn't mean freethinkers were on their own, unable to draw on any authority or expertise. It meant I could discern. I could decide. I could now choose which voices merited my confidence, which voices I could defer to in matters beyond my own grasp. Now, we're very fond of saying, and by we, I mean we skeptical science-minded types, we're fond of saying that our opinions, our convictions, the things we hold true are all based on empirical evidence, right? Let's talk about that. But it's not always true in the way we think. When I say the things I hold true are the result of evidence, the implication is that I've assessed the evidence myself, right? That is true at best for a fraction of a sliver of a splinter of the things that I actually hold true. For all the rest, I have outsourced the evaluation of evidence to other people who I'm confident will do a better job at it. Now, I consider myself to be scientifically literate. I studied chemistry and biology in high school, physiology and microbiology in college, and along the way, I learned about the elements of each field and the theories, the models of explanation that apply those elements to the world around us. But just as importantly, I developed an understanding of how science works. Now, I don't just mean the scientific method. I mean the enterprise of science on the large scale. And that, more than all the actual stuff I learned along the way, has allowed me to engage and understand the world more confidently than I otherwise could have. I'm extremely confident, for example, that the sun is mostly made of hydrogen, and that smoking can kill you, and that you shouldn't mix bleach and ammonia, and that asparagus makes your pee smell weird. I would bet a lot of money on every one of those four things being true. That's how confident I am. Yet only one of those four strong convictions comes from my own direct evaluation of the evidence. For the other three, and for 10,000 other hills, I would die on, because my confidence is that high. For all of those, I am relying on the expertise of others. I have seen it confidently asserted in multiple sources that I deemed reliable that the sun is mostly hydrogen. It seems to be a settled question. So I've been made informally aware of a scientific consensus around the question of the elements in the sun. If knowing the elements of the sun were a matter of life and death, I would have no intelligent choice but to accept the consensus of those whose extensive specialized education and access to instruments and all the rest have led them to that conclusion. They might be wrong. Maybe my gut or an ancient scroll or a dream or one lone voice in the scientific community swears that the sun is mostly, what, uranium, I don't know, and everyone else has it wrong. Could be. But until a different case is made to the satisfaction of that expert community, that consensus, forged in the messy process of experiment and peer review and the building of theory from observation, that consensus will always be the best bet. It's the one I would stake my life on if somehow it came to that. And this is not ideal. 
I want to get my hands on the data myself. I want to be in the room where it happens. I'm welcome to do that in any field I want. I am welcome to pursue the education and experience that would put me in that room. That is open to me, and it's feasible. But once I'm in that room, once I'm an astrophysicist weighing in on the composition of the sun, suppose there's another pressing question I want the answer to. Does too much dairy put you at risk for restless leg syndrome, something like that. That's a science question, and I'm now a highly trained scientist. Now, there was a time when science was young that you could really be a generalist in science that way. The extent of accumulated knowledge and theory was still hypothetically within the reach of an individual. Hypothetically. That time is long past. As knowledge and theory have accumulated, science has split into a thousand specializations. The knowledge required to make the modern world run is just too vast for any one person to get arms around. You remember Ask Dr. Science, the short comedy bit that played on public radio for years? It's time once again to Ask Dr. Science. So let's ask Dr. Science. That's me. Remember, he knows more than you It'd start That's with a science right. question. Ellie Sherson from Manhattan wants to know, Dear Dr. Science, how do you tell a psychologist from a psychiatrist? I know some of both, and I'm always mixing them up. If you're not sure, you... He would answer it wrong, and at the end, you get this. Send your science questions to Ask Dr. Science. Remember, he's not a real doctor. I have a master's degree in science. I have a master's degree in science is funny because of specialization. You could never do it. Which brings us back to the vice president. When Mike Pence visited the Mayo Clinic in April and wore no mask, as he visited with patients in the hospital, he knew the policy. Of course he knew the policy. It would not have slipped the minds of the medical staff overseeing the visit of the vice president to inform him of the mask policy during a pandemic, and every person around him was wearing a mask. So the initial claim of his office that he didn't know is ridiculous. He knew what the rule was, but he knew better. This is our real national crisis right now. When I heard that there was a novel virus on the loose, I knew what that meant. I'm science literate enough to know how immunity works. But the degree of danger in this particular case and the epidemiology of it and the extraordinary actions that we were all going to have to take, I just don't know enough to evaluate those things. So when the pandemic began to sweep the globe and the WHO and the CDC and the NIH said six feet apart, I didn't say, oh, wait, I really don't see that that's... No. Boom. This freethinker complied. And when they said masks, boom. I never went out without a mask. And when they said the elderly, the people with underlying conditions, are most susceptible, I immediately took special care around my 82-year-old mother, who has multiple underlying conditions. I did not know enough of the relevant science to thoroughly evaluate the instructions myself or to second-guess them. But I did know enough about how science operates to comply. And it's a good thing, too. On April 10th, my mom fell and broke her leg. 
couldn't put any weight on it for six weeks. We rented a hospital bed for her apartment and started a grueling, nearly round-the-clock schedule of care. For 20 days, I fed her breakfast and lunch, and I gave her shots and medication and physically moved her in the bed and changed the sheets, leaning over her, moving all around her. And somewhere in that first week, she started saying that I should get that cough checked out. And I told her it was just my spring allergy. I always get that in April. I didn't seriously consider that I had the virus until it hung on for longer than usual and got a little rougher than usual. That's when I got tested. Now, during those two weeks when I thought it was just my pollen allergy, I wore the mask anyway around her all the time. Why? Because the specialists at the CDC and the WHO and the NIH said that's what I should do. As a result, my mom is not only alive, but negative for the virus. That is amazing to me. And if I had said, hey, I don't have it, it's just allergies, and coughed a highly infectious novel virus all over her apartment for two weeks without a mask, there's a pretty good chance I would have killed my mother. No matter who you are, no matter what you do know, there is an enormous amount of science that you will never, ever know. A lot of it affects your daily life. Some of it, your life will depend on. Some of it will keep a plane flying with you in it, or keep your heart and lungs working during surgery, or guarantee the safety or variety or bounty of the food that you eat. And you will get on the plane, and you'll go under the knife, and you'll eat the food, despite the fact that more often than not, you are utterly, abjectly ignorant of the science in play. Doing so is not the act of a reckless person. It's the act of a human being living in the modern world who understands expertise. When we think about raising kids who are scientifically literate, we usually think of that as knowing science, knowing the basic principles and elements and theories on which science is built. We think it's about the periodic table and understanding evolution and knowing that the sun is a star made mostly of hydrogen. We think it's about the science itself. That is one part of science literacy, but I'd argue it's the less important part. The rest of it is understanding the enterprise of science and how that works. More important than knowing the chemical composition of salt is knowing the composition of science, knowing that the incredible success of science in the past 500 years has made it too huge and multifaceted for any person to know even a significant fraction of what is known. And yet it is known because the project of science is a collective endeavor. That's the only way it can work. And each corner, each facet of the endeavor develops guidelines and structures and principles that keep it effective and advancing and credible. Now, could the professionals at the CDC be wrong? Well, of course they can. But the odds that my Aunt Shirley has done a better job answering these complex questions than they have, or Sean Hannity, or even my family physician, those odds are pretty damn small. The people in the best position to figure out if the CDC is wrong are those at the same level of expertise, epidemiologists and virologists and public health PhDs 
at other institutions around the world. If they articulate a contrary opinion on a topic as huge as the current pandemic, that'll be news, a meaningful split in expert opinion. It happens. And the resolution of that split will also happen at that level. But when two urgent care doctors in Bakersfield, California, made a video, also in April, utterly contradicting the consensus of public health experts on sheltering in place, saying that their testing showed that the virus is already widespread enough to resume normal activities, that is not a meaningful split in expert opinion. And sure enough, those with population-level expertise quickly pointed out that the doctors had made really basic errors in sampling that led to faulty conclusions. Dr. Carl Bergstrom, a specialist in infectious disease modeling at the University of Washington, expertise, said their extrapolation from skewed data was like estimating the average height of Americans from the players on an NBA court. So we have an expert in infectious disease modeling expressing his view of the infectious disease model offered by these two non-specialists. But they were dressed in scrubs, and they sounded sciency, And most of all, they were saying what people wanted to hear. The virus is not dangerous. We don't need to shut down and stay home. We've got to raise our kids to resist that siren song of preference and to instead amplify the voice of genuine expertise. So after a week of backlash following his Mayo Clinic tour, the vice president gave something like an apology in a Fox News virtual town hall. But first he repeated his oily, dishonest implication that the CDC would be just fine with what he did. Well, from early on, the CDC's made it clear that you wear a mask to prevent you from conveying the coronavirus to other people. And since the president and I are in the unique positions we're in, we're tested often. And his interviewer jumped in to underline the false pretense. We should point out that we're tested as well. That's why we're here without a mask as well. And then Pence addressed the issue. I I didn't think it was necessary, um, uh, but I should have worn the mask at the Mayo Clinic. You know, I could have done without the first six words. What you thought was necessary is crushingly irrelevant. And as the head of the National Coronavirus Task Force, you need to speak to that. You were a history major and then a lawyer and then a politician. That's a respectable set of credentials for some things. But nothing in your experience or education qualifies you to walk into the Mayo Clinic and beg to differ with their understanding of what is necessary in a pandemic. What you should have said in the town hall is, I didn't think it was necessary, but what I think is not important in this case. This is a time to listen to those who have devoted their lives to the study of virology and epidemiology and public health. I should have worn the mask because they said I should have worn the mask. And they know more than I will ever know about the science needed to make that call. That would have been leadership. And that is the other side of science literacy that we need to teach our free-thinking kids. The Raising Freethinkers podcast is a production of Only Sky Media, exploring the whole human experience from the secular perspective. Visit us online at onlysky.media. Thanks for listening. I'm Dale McGowan. See you next time for Raising Freethinkers.